0: I'll tell you what we're going to be doing in this hour in a moment, but let me remind you of some things that are coming up this afternoon at 2.30 is our annual meeting. We have quarterly meetings, but this one we, it's called the annual meeting because at this meeting we handle some things that are just done once a year, like asking the church to approve a proposed budget for the coming year. So that'll be presented and also Uh, We'll be asking to renew the terms of three of our deacons for the next three years as well. That's something we need to get a congregational vote on. In addition, we're looking to add a missionary uh, to our support list, and that's something we always ask for congregational approval for as well. And then I have a bunch of informational items, important informational items, to uh, share with you. So it's two thirty this afternoon. If you're a member of the church, <clears throat> then uh, I would encourage you to come. We make it at two thirty, so you've got time to get lunch and come back. We try to hold those meetings to one hour, and we're usually successful at that. Uh, it just depends on how many, if any, questions we have to uh, field. So that'll be this afternoon at uh, two thirty. And then next weekend, we are going to have entrusted ministries here. Dave and Betsy Corning are the founders and the proprietors of Entrusted Ministries. It's a parenting ministry. And on Saturday, this coming Saturday, from 10 to 2, they're going to be doing a parenting seminar. We're offering childcare for that to make it possible for you to attend. It's free. We're going to have a light lunch in between. So they'll do a morning session, a light lunch. They'll do an afternoon session and a Q&A after and then that following Sunday, one week from today during this hour, they are going to uh, present their ministry in this hour. And uh, I know Dave and Betsy, they're uh, an older couple that uh, have grandchildren, very godly couple. They have raised uh, a generation and now another generation on biblical principles. And so they can be of great help uh, to uh, you, to our families. They want to do that. That's why they have material uh, that uh, and, and have started this ministry. We are going to use their material in the coming year. So there will be once a month meetings for parents using the entrusted ministries material. So you hearing about what that is will be helpful to you so that you can decide if that's something that you can participate in. So that's next uh, weekend. And then uh, two weeks from today, we have a couple of things. One is during this hour, two weeks from today, we are going to start a new series to which we're inviting the community. It's called Change of Heart and it is about the process of change in us and how we can help other people change as well. So both of those, hopefully in those nine weeks, you'll come away with an understanding of the change process for ourselves individually, but also how to help other people in the change process too. We're sending mailers about that to the community and we have emphasized on the mailer, you know, trying to help other people, but also say on there and you'll, you'll learn how to help yourself as well. One of the reasons that we're emphasizing that honestly the help other people is because if you just say, if you got problems, come for this series, then then nobody wants to show up with kind of a tag on them that says, yep, I'm I'm here with my problems. Uh, but it'll do both. It'll help you help others, but it'll help you help yourself as well. So that's two weeks from today. That same day, February the 9th, that evening, uh, our musicians have planned a hymn sing. So everybody's invited for that, and just uh, the entire evening will be devoted to praising the Lord in song, and in particular with a focus on on the hymns. So we invite and encourage you all to be a part of that on Monday the 10th that next day so 2 weeks from tomorrow our ladies ministry is starting a new uh, a new gathering i'm not calling it a class because it's not a class primarily of instruction it's not a lecture format but rather as you see in the program there's a paragraph describing heart to heart and what that is is there'll be a topic chosen every month and the ladies uh will uh do some reading in Scripture related to that topic and then some discussion about practical application of what the Scripture says to that topic. So things like worry and anxiety and fear and so on, you'll have a topic every month for that. So there'll be an introductory session two weeks from tomorrow for that, ladies, and it'll be the second and fourth Mondays of every month, second and fourth Mondays of, of every month. So I encourage you to avail yourself of that if you can. The way our church is structured, we offer a whole constellation of things like that, men's ministry, women's ministry, uh, fellowship times, the parenting seminar like we're doing uh, this, this weekend. We offer a bunch of that stuff. But for none of that um, are we beating anybody over the head saying you got to come to all of that stuff. That's That's not the point. Uh, We have a core structure of ministries that we do encourage everybody to be a part of. Just a core handful of things that are necessary components for you to have a well-rounded growth in your Christian life. Obviously, Sunday morning, what we're doing here is part of that. Our community groups that meet on the first and third Sunday evenings of each month. Those are a part of that because you, you you establish relationships and you get to know people in ways that you otherwise couldn't, and so that's part of our core structure, the the community groups and then uh, community service that's our ministry that just places people in service so those passions and skills forms that many of you filled out uh, and turned in, right <laughs> from this morning that we had inserted in the program. So you fill those out, you turn those in. Those uh, go to our community service ministry. And the idea with those is to try to then find areas of ministry that fit your profile, that fit you, things that you can do uh, in terms of your giftedness and abilities to, to serve the Lord. So that's a, a third thing then, that if you're going to be well-rounded in your Christian walk, that you avail yourself of, and that is serving the Lord in, in some capacity through his, his church. So you, Sunday morning, uh, community groups, serving the Lord in, in some capacity. And then we have just two classes that we offer on Wednesday nights, our Wednesday Night Community Institute, two classes that we urge everybody to take at some point, and many of you have taken these. I'm teaching right now on Wednesday nights Master Plan for Life. And that is a theology class, but it's a theology class that's waste level. It's for regular people, so it's not over anybody's head. Um, we offer a class every semester on deeper theology that Dr. Snowberger from the seminary is teaching. He's doing one right now that he started this past Wednesday called The Doctrines of, of Angels, Man, and Sin. And here's what happens. Uh, people go to his class, and they're jazzed about the topic. And then they realize how hard it is. And then they come to the simpleton class. That would be mine. So last semester, I had a bunch of refugees from his class that came to to my class. So if you want the easy class, it's well-known. Go to Brown's class, okay? But we have these two, Master Plan for Life, and then the other one is How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible, those two. And we offer those on Wednesday nights, and we offer them alternately every year. So this year is Master Plan for Life. It's two semesters, September through April. And then in the fall, how to get the most out of your Bible, same thing. And then we just rotate those so that they're always being offered so that you can be a part of that. Those are the core ministries of our church. Those two classes are the ones we do on Wednesday nights that we encourage everybody to do. Then on Wednesday nights, we just offer a variety of other classes to supplement your your Christian life and different topics and so on. So you hear all this stuff, you get the program, it's got a bunch of flyers in it, we got all kinds of things going on, but if you notice, we don't harangue, I know how to harangue, as you learned over the last few weeks, but we don't harangue about attending all of these things. We offer them as supplements to these core ministries as needed. If you are in the category of being a parent and you want some help with parenting, we're offering you a parenting class. We offer you marriage classes. We offer you women's classes. We offer you men's classes. But these are all supplemental. They're there for you to take. If you can make them, great. If you can't, or you don't need it, or you don't want to, that's okay too. You won't be hearing us beating you over the head about any of that. But we will sort of beat you over the head about the core stuff. Because you really need, you really need those things. Okay? So that's what's coming up. We're finishing today. Uh, the last several weeks at the beginning of this year, this series, Body Life 2020 Vision. And on Sunday mornings during the worship hour, the messages over the last few weeks have been on that theme, as was the case this morning. And then the second hour, this hour, has been related to that as well. Uh, On one of those weeks, last week, Pastor Rich made the presentation about thinking about the future as you think about planning, uh, your, uh, planning your finances. Think about the future and, and, uh, how you can structure that in a way to be productive in ministry and help ministry go forward even after you're gone. So he talked about, he talked about that. But the week prior to that, uh, I started just this little two week series on this theme. And it was, and it was this. It was the fact that the church is central to what God is doing in His world. And I showed from Scripture that apart from the church, you don't have the mission that Jesus called us to. That the mission that we call the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That that mission and the church, and that means the local church, local bodies like this one, that those go hand in hand. They started at the same time. They move forward together. So I said two weeks ago, there should never be a churchless mission. That is, you should never have a mission and a missions endeavor that is not centered upon the church, that's not centered upon creating churches and strengthening churches, because that's how the mission goes forward. The missionaries, then, that we support all do that. The missionaries that I'm going to introduce this afternoon for us to support and add to our roster of missionaries, they're all committed to doing that. There have been times where we have had missionaries, and in fact this will be the case this afternoon, I'll tell you about it. But we've had a missionary, very good guy, and he's in Shanghai serving, he and his wife, but they have gotten derailed from that mission. They haven't been able to, to focus on that and move that forward. And so their missions agency has said, we're <clears throat> we're going to on friendly terms, but we're going to part ways on that, uh, because that's what our missions are about. That's what the mission of uh, the church is, and as outlined in Scripture, is the proliferation, the multiplication of churches. So there should never be a church-less mission, and there should never be a mission-less church. So mission should be focused upon the multiplication and strengthening of churches, and then those churches should be focused on seeing more churches planted as part of the mission. There should never be then a church that's without that mission. There should never be a mission-less church. Our church has that mission. It is squarely in front of us, and by God's grace, we're going to continue to move forward on that, culminating in seeing new churches planted, Revitalizing dying churches, which we've been called upon to do, I'll be talking about that this afternoon. We have a church in Southgate right now that is literally dying. The age of the church is dying. At the rate that people are literally dying, in two two years, I said two started to say two weeks, but in but in two years it won't exist. And they recognize that they've reached out for help. And I'll give you an update on doing that. But we're happy to do that because that's the mission. is to see churches established, see churches strengthened. People come into those, people come to Christ, people grow in Christ. That's how it's laid out in Scripture. And I showed you that two weeks ago. Now, within a given church, that's the mission, that's the big picture. But then you establish these churches like ours. And then what's supposed to happen in a church? I mean, what's a church supposed to do? You know, and most of us think we know. Because we, if you've gone to church most of your life, then what a church is supposed to do is what you've seen done. Right? I mean, that's where most of us get our idea about what a church is to do. By what we've seen done. But if we want, if we want to be, Thoroughly biblical about it, all of us, including myself, including our leadership, need to regularly step back and to say we don't want to get caught in just doing what we've always done. It may be that what we've always done is perfectly consistent with what the Lord's told us to do, and so we ought to keep doing it and strengthening it and all of that. But it may be that it just becomes tradition, and you just do it because you've always done it. You know, so I should say it becomes traditionalism. Because tradition's a good thing, traditionalism's a bad thing. Here's the difference tradition's a good thing. Tradition has been defined as the living faith of the dead. Tradition. That is, the faith of those who've gone before us that still lives and has been passed on. To us and been bequeathed to us. Like we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. The faith of those who have gone before. And that inspires and that encourages and that's a model for us. So tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. (laughs) That is, people just doing stuff because they've always done it. So as you establish these churches, what are churches like ours, what are we supposed to do? And, you know, you get the idea, well, you're supposed to gather in, like, a big room. And there's supposed to be a dude who stands up front. And he talks for 20 minutes. <laughs> or 30 or 40 or, or whatever. But there's a guy who, who stands up front. And then he, he, gives the, he gives the sermon. In the second century church... Uh, that guy was called the one who presides. He was actually called the president. So if you don't mind, I'd like to be called President Ken <laughs> going forward. The bad news is I'm fully aware that presidents can be impeached <laughs> as well. But here's But here's the thing. If you go back to the New Testament, the truth is, Almost without exception, they never had a room like this. They never had a room this large. Where did they normally meet? They met in houses. And so the one who was presiding and the sermon looked completely, quite a bit different than what we do now. Now, over time, we've adapted those forms of ministry to the opportunities that are presented. By freedom (laughs) to hang out your shingle and have a place of your own. But what we're doing here today on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the way we're doing it would have been unknown 2,000 years ago. There would not have been a building that you went to that said, you know, Corinthian Bible Church. They're meeting in homes. And they're meeting in homes uh, often on pain of arrest or even death. That was the way it was. But then as as I said two weeks ago, as Constantine, the emperor of Rome in the 4th century, makes a profession of Christian faith, he now allows Christianity to be a legal religion. And by the end of the 4th century, it became the preferred religion of the empire. And as a result of that in Europe and then in the, in the years since, uh, in the century sense, and especially as you come over to America and the pilgrims and the Puritans come for religious freedom, we enjoy all that. So now what you and I think of as church is quite a bit different in its form from what happened 2000 years ago. We're now able to have a larger room. We're now able to put a sign out. We're able to go and canvass the community. We're able to send these mailers out, and we have no fear at this point that there are going to be repercussions for that. It's very something to be very thankful for, extremely thankful for. I'm going to be doing a seminar in April in Marshall, Michigan, on preaching for preachers. And one of the things I'm going to encourage my fellow preachers to think about is not getting caught up too much in the form of preaching as we know it today. Because the form, the way we do it, like with a pulpit like this on a platform in a big room, is not what happened 2,000 years ago. Now, it's a good thing. It's a fine thing. But if you get caught up too much in that, Then you'll have an anachronistic view as you read in the New Testament the word preaching. Immediately you'll think of somebody doing that. And you'll think that's the only way that preaching gets done. All right, so what are these churches supposed to do? What are they supposed to look like? And what churches do is very much affected by their circumstances and the forms that they create. Buildings, signs, pulpits, all of that, to carry out the functions that the New Testament requires. The functions are very clear in Scripture. The forms, the way you do it, vary. So you don't want to get caught up in the forms. And you don't want to get the false idea that church is or has to be what you've always seen. All right, so that's one. So how does that relate to the core objectives, then, of these churches that are established to carry out the mission. What is it, if you get back to Scripture, we're really supposed to be about? And how do we have, need to structure ourselves in order to make it happen? Well, I'm of the conviction that passages like Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, And verse 42, which says this about the very first church, very first church ever in the history of the world, is found in Acts chapter 2. And it says of that church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that they continued in the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing. That church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. So you want to know something about what the church is supposed to be about? The very first church was commended in Scripture for doing that, being about the apostles' teaching. And then it goes on to say, they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching and then to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, when it says the fellowship and then the breaking of bread and prayer, it's the fellowship, and here are a couple of the ways that that fellowship occurred. So it says, to the fellowship, comma, the breaking of bread and prayer. So they devoted themselves to that. They were together and they would break bread together. They would break bread together in communion as members of the church, the breaking of bread and prayer. But then it also tells you in Acts chapter 4 that they would break bread together in their homes. They would eat together in their homes like meals. So there was hospitality going on here in this fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, I'm going to fill in the word, to relationships then with each other. And then you go down to verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And of that very first church, very first church that's ever existed, it says this, that they found favor with all the people. They found favor with the people in Jerusalem. Now, we're not talking about the people in the church. When it says they found favor, the they is the people in the church. They found favor with the people outside the church. God gave them a season of relationship with unbelieving people. Now, all three of those things, the apostles teaching, the fellowship, relationships with each other, and then the relationship that the church has with those outside the church, all three of those, in my mind, give us the kinds of experiences that every church should be designed to provide. It should provide learning experiences with the Word of God, the apostles' teaching. It should provide relational experiences with each other, the fellowship breaking bread in each other's homes, hospitality. So learning experiences with the word of God, relational experiences with each other, and witnessing experiences with the world. A healthy church will be set up in a way to provide all three of those. So as we ask the question then, well, what are these churches supposed to be like? What are they supposed to do? Hang your hat on that. Learning experiences with the world, relational experiences with one another, witnessing, relational experiences with the Word. Learning experiences with the Word, relational experiences with one another, and witnessing experiences with the world. Those three. Now, as you look at churches, and I'm a keen observer of church life in what I do, lots of, I'm familiar with lots of churches, lots of pastor friends. And as you look at churches what you find is that most often churches will be centered on one of those three maybe two of those three but rarely all three and that's a bad thing for our churches so every church takes on a character what it's you know what it's you walk in you get the theme of what it's about Pretty quickly, and so a lot of churches are devoted to the relation or the the learning experiences with the Word, the apostles' teaching, and so the thing that the church is about all the time is teaching. And as you think about that church, the the one thing you think about is a classroom. The church is one big classroom. And you're regularly learning more stuff. Now, if you're going to be a healthy church, and you're going to emulate the very first church that ever existed that was commended for these three things, then you need to be teaching. People need to be learning. So we offer all the stuff I've talked about. But if that's all you do, then you get people who learn, and learn some more, and learn some more, and keep learning some more, And they become sponges that soak in and soak in and soak in. And many a Christian person who goes to a church like that becomes this full sponge that never gets wrung out. That knowledge that they're they're getting is not put forward in service, into the lives of other people. So if you only do that one thing, to that extent, you're an unhealthy church. So there's these learning experiences with the Word in lots of churches, and most of the churches that I am most familiar with are like that. And the reason I say that is because I went to seminary. And so many of my pastor friends are seminary guys. And one of the occupational hazards of being a seminary pastor is doing that, is that you have now transferred the seminary classroom to your your local church. What these people need is what I got in seminary. I wouldn't wish that on you. But that's what, like, you know, I joke about it, but I say, you know, a lot of us, you know, we went to seminary, spent a bunch of years there, and we want people to know that we got our money's worth. And so we lay all this stuff out that, frankly, the average person doesn't doesn't have to have in their Christian walk. So, but many are characterized that way, learning experiences with the word, relational experiences with one another. So you get churches that they're highly relational. You go into a church and the first thing you walk in, first time you've ever darkened the door and you'll get six people hug you before you get 15 feet in. It's a really friendly church. I grew up in a church like that. I grew up Pentecostal. Everybody was called brother and sister. It was just you know, a family atmosphere. People hugged a lot. Which is, and, and I loved those people. And they loved me. And they nurtured me. And I thank God for them. But if you're somebody, just as an aside, if you're somebody who comes in from the outside and you're not a hugger, okay? So bear that in mind if you are a hugger, that not everybody is. So like for our greeters, we try to train them. You know, don't put your arm, throw your arms around people. Not everybody likes that. Some people don't even want to shake your hand. They're just not, you know, and they come in, they're new. They don't know. They don't want to get too familiar. If this turns out to be cultish, I don't want to have to feel like I have to come in again. And so, you know, we tell the greeters, be, be, notice the body language. If the person is coming in, they got their hands in their pockets. Don't grab the hand out of the pocket. Okay? But there are churches who are highly relational, highly loving. And then there are churches that are the third thing, the witnessing experiences with the world. It's evangelistic. It's always evangelistic. Most of the sermons are evangelistic sermons. So that then when people sit under those sermons, they don't, they're not taught a whole lot because it's a regular invitation to non-believers to become believers. So it's highly evangelistic. So all three of those things are part of a healthy church. But if you're only one of those things, to that extent, you're missing a couple of things. And some churches might have two. But as I'm telling you, it's unfortunately, too many of our churches don't have all three. If you're going to be a healthy church, you need to have all those. And I, as part of leadership and our leadership team here, take it as our mandate then. To provide in the structure of our church environments in which all three of those things can flourish. Learning experiences with the word, relational experiences with one another, and evangelistic opportunities with the the world. Our church is structured around that. Those three things. Now, let's take it a bit deeper. Uh, Not only does the church need to create environments in which those things can flourish, and, and, th- and thus structure its forms in a way to do that. But in addition to that, a strong and vibrant body life needs to, be, needs to be present and active in the life of the church. Body life. And when I say body life, I'm talking about then ministry taking place member to member. And if you don't have that, then you're going to be missing a key element of a healthy church. Those relational experiences that are part of the environments that need to be created, coming out of the reason the Bible's so big on that and the reason we're big on that is because one of the practical things that happens out of that is people get to know one another in in close ways, intimate ways. So that now... They feel comfortable sharing some of their burdens, some of their difficulties. And they can talk with a brother or sister about those things. It's why we have growth partners that I plugged to this morning for people to do this. It's why we have community groups, meeting in homes for you to get to know. And one of the most gratifying things over these 18 years that I've seen in our church is I see people together and I see that they have relationships with each other And I don't know how. I'm like, how do these people know each other? I'm thrilled that they do. And then I'll often ask. I'll say, hey, how how did you guys connect? How do you know each other? And often it is that they were in a community group together. Maybe years ago. But they established that relationship. And now they're in a new community group establishing new relationships. But those have carried on. They were in a community group together. They were growth partners Together. They availed themselves of some of these opportunities. Now, two weeks ago, we put up on the screen, and I think we have First Thessalonians five. First Thessalonians five. And I put on the screen this about the church in Thessalonica. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now, those would be the leaders. Brothers and sisters in the congregation, acknowledge those who are your leaders. They care for you in the Lord. They admonish you. Uh, actually, when it says there, care for you in the Lord, the word is actually over you in the Lord. So they're your leaders. Okay. So that's saying acknowledge and be appreciative of your pastors. All in favor of that, say amen. All right. Now we go to the next, the next verse. Hold them in the highest regard because of their work. But then it says now it's going to transition to the next verse. Live in peace with each other. Now that means live in peace with your leaders. There should be harmony, unity between the leadership of the church and the congregation. But not just the leadership and the congregation. The next verse says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, as you live in peace and harmony with each other, do these things. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. The way you're going to live at peace with everyone is that you're going to have body life that does that. But you won't have body life that does that. I'm going to talk about those things in our remaining time. But you won't have body life that does that. Where people to people, member to member, they warn and they encourage, and they help. You won't have that if you don't have environments where those people are together, are getting to know each other, over time are willing to open up to one another. None of that will happen. But the Bible says it's supposed to happen within the life of the church. So we provide environments to help that flourish. Now, you've got different groups of people here. The first group of people are the idle, disruptive people. Now, idle, I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L. I-D-O-L is idolatry, or right? But no, this is idle, like you put your car in idle, like in neutral, or it's idling. It's not doing anything. And the idle were that. They were people who weren't doing anything. Now, I'll talk about what it was they were supposed to be doing and they're not doing. And as a result of that, it was disruptive to the congregation. Now, what is this idleness that some were guilty of in the church at Thessalonica? Well, it's, it's this. The chapter just before that one, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 10 and 11 say this. We urge you, brothers and sisters... To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. (laughs) That's what Paul says. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent on anybody. The chapter just before this one, that's what it says. Make it your ambition to to lead this quiet life, to work with your hands like we had told you, so that you'll have the respect of people who are outside the church. That you're somebody who does your best to work for a living. That's what it's saying. And so that you won't be dependent on anybody within the church. So that you're someone who does your level best to pull your weight, work for a living. And you don't try to live off the largesse, the the kindness of others. Now, a quick aside, important aside. The Bible also says in multiple places that within the body, the body helps with the needs of others. And in fact, the help the weak piece there is part of that. Somebody may have physical weakness. They may need help financially. They may have needs in other ways, and we are called to help each other with that. So benevolence to those that are in need within the body is an important thing. A healthy church has got to have that. We have that. That's why we have a benevolence fund. And on a regular basis, we have needs that come to us from the church body, and the leadership is charged in our church with dispensing those funds Appropriately examining the need and so on. But we wouldn't do that for someone who refused to work. Notice there's a difference between someone who refuses to work and someone who can't work, right? And you got people in circumstances where they can't work, but somebody who says, I'm not going to work, and they're regularly not working, that's actually violating Scripture. That's being idle in violation of what the Bible says. So, By the time the second letter to Thessalonica was written, this is 1 Thessalonians. There's a second Thessalonians. And when Paul writes his second letter to them, this is still a big problem. He's already told them, do this, work with your hands so that you'll have the respect of outsiders and you won't be dependent on anybody. Don't be idle. And if you have people who are idle, warn them that that's wrong. But by the time he writes the second letter, it's still a problem. There were people in the church who apparently had not taken that to heart. And here's what it says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 beginning in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Yikes. It went from warn Tell the person lovingly, but tell them, hey, look, the Lord says he gives you your abilities and your gifts. And he's given us work as something that humanity is to do, including Christian humanity. And so you need to do that if you are physically able. And God requires that. But if now, over a period of time, somebody refuses to do that, Paul is now saying, that person is now bringing into question their Christian profession. By continuing to disobey what the Lord says. You've warned them. Now he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, keep away from the person who's idle and disruptive, the same group of people, and does not live according to the teaching that you receive from us. And he goes on to say, you saw from our own example when we were with you, when Paul and his entourage were in Thessalonica, he says we worked with our own hands so that we weren't dependent on other people to provide for us. And the Lord says to do that. So there's always a group of people in the church who need to be lovingly warned. In the case of Thessalonica, the warning was about idleness. But you could substitute there any known and obvious sin that somebody is engaging in. And we have a responsibility to do that. Warn each other. You see a brother or sister. Remember he said, don't be a busybody earlier. (laughs) So I'm not telling you to get your detective hat on and become a Christian private eye. I've had people like that in the church. And they're like scoping other people out and all that. And they come to me and say, you know, I think somebody's doing X. And I go, look, if somebody's doing X, over time, X will become evident. I don't need to hide behind bushes. You don't need to hide behind bushes. You don't need to go try to find out what people are doing. But if in your relationships with people, it becomes evident that people are clearly violating what the Lord says, not just doing something you don't like. There's plenty of that in relationships, right? Nobody has to fit your criteria or mine. But they're doing something that violates Scripture. Now we need to lovingly warn each other. But that won't happen if we don't have relationships with each other. And if we don't cultivate relationships with each other. Otherwise then, if you don't have relationships with each other and you go try to warn somebody, you're coming out of the blue. You've never said anything to them. You don't even know each other. But you come and you say, you know what? You're doing X, Y, or Z. And in the name of Jesus, I'm confronting you. How do you think that's going to go? Right. So, warn. Now, if the church family does that warning, guess who doesn't have to do the warning all the time? Moi. Moi. And in all seriousness, it's a very healthy thing if the church body loves one another to lovingly call one another to the path of righteousness. Otherwise, it's always left to the pastors. And then people begin to hate the pastors. Because every time I see that guy, he's coming to beat on me. So that first category is you beat on each other so I don't have to. That's what the first one is. <laughs> Quickly, encourage the disheartened, encourage. The word encourage means come literally come alongside the person. It's like you come along the side of person putting an arm around them. They're disheartened for whatever reasons. Their circumstances in life, they can't see ahead, they can't see any light at the end of the tunnel in their dark circumstances and you have the church body that's to come alongside and encourage them now that encouragement is not ever Christian encouragement is never I'll pat you on the back and say it'll be okay I don't just do that you shouldn't just do that it'll be okay see because here's the thing don't say this but here's the truth it might get worse right right I mean, those, those great theologians, Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> said, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Because, quote, if your life's been bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. And as I think about that from a Christian standpoint, I'm thinking if your life's been bad to you, tomorrow might be worse to you. Right? So I'm going to come along and lie to you and say it'll be okay? No. Christians encourage not by saying it'll be okay. Christians encourage by saying the Lord is with you. The Lord promises to take care of you. God's people are with you. God's spirit is with you. God's promises are true for you. When we come alongside, we don't say it'll be okay. We say... God is in it. And we point them to Jesus, we point them to the Lord. And then you got this third category of help the weak. People that are weak spiritually, people that are weak physically. And you always have in every congregation all three of those. People who are sinning that need to be warned. People who are disheartened that need to be encouraged. And people who are weak physically and or spiritually that need to be helped. And every person here is part of being in that ministry. You can't do it if you're not in regular relationship with each other. If the only fellowship you get with people in your church is the back of their head on Sunday morning. Right? Isn't that how deep the fellowship goes for a lot of people? It's the back of your head. Oh, I know you. You're the guy with the bald spot. I sit behind you and roll, you know, three over on the far right. If that's all you got, none of this is happening. That's why the church and our church is structured as it is to make sure that happens. One question, we're done. Yes? Um, if a man wants to get saved, who should he contact? If a person wants to get saved, male or female, right? You said man, but whoever. And they want to come to Christ, get saved, who should they contact? Yeah. Right now? Today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Well, Okay. I don't know if you guys would all hear that, but she's saying if, if someone wants to become a Christian today, what should they do? And I'm sensing an evangelistic opportunity here. <laughs> I'm a very perceptive guy. And so I want to answer that two ways quickly. In the normal case, I don't want to say, hey, you need to go talk to the pastor. Because I don't ever want to give the idea that the only person who can lead somebody to Jesus is the pastor just like the body is equipped to do that stuff the body's equipped to lead people to Jesus but in this case if you're saying there's somebody who has said I want to talk to somebody about coming to the Lord tell them to come talk to me okay and we'll and we'll be glad to do that thank you all right let's pray next week we'll have the entrusted ministries people here two weeks from today we'll start the change of heart ministry or change of heart series let's pray Father, we thank you for the opportunity these last several weeks to consider the work of your church and to consider the privilege that it is to be part of the body of Christ in this location. Thank you for bringing us out of the world into yourself and then in your providence bringing us together as brothers and sisters. Lord, we now want to use what you have given us, the treasures that you have given us, your word, your people, your message. We want to use the, the skills and passions that you've given to each of us. We want to, to corral all of that and use that together to move your mission forward, to bring glory and honor to you. I thank you. I thank you profoundly for these brothers and sisters, these dear friends who are here to think about these heady matters, these important matters. Lord, may we meditate on these this coming week. Uh, this coming week, may we uh, put into practice the things that we have been challenged by from your word today. And thereby, may you be pleased with us this week. Grant us safety, we ask you. Bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe it is my responsibility to keep fees and commissions from eating away at your hard-earned money. Sure, I'd have to make some money. But I make my money from the financial companies I represent. You will not be charged a fee by me, and you will not be charged a transaction fee by these companies. It is so important to